This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be talking about the importance of empathy. Living in a society these days where we see such a different view of people's lives, especially through social media, I know it's something that I touch on quite a bit. We don't always get the full picture, and I feel like it does affect impulse control and our normal instincts to connect with others. It has affected socialization, and I did an episode on this discussing social media and mental health. I do want to dive into certain aspects of it a little bit more today in regards to empathy, go into the different types of empathy, as well as the identification of what an empath, what a narcissist, what a psychopath or a sociopath is, and how empathy plays into those things. And we're not saying that like not being empathetic makes you those things, but it's just a way to check in and see like, are you contributing to those types of tendencies in your life? And what can you do to change that? Go through the differences of those, some of the symptoms of internet addiction, as well as how that's affecting impulse control and how people are interacting online versus how they would interact in real life. Another thing I want to talk about is just the benefits of incorporating empathy into your life and how you can do that. So that's pretty much what I'm going to be discussing in this episode. So getting right into it, what is empathy and why is it important? Empathy really is the ability to be able to see things from another person's perspective and sympathize with another's emotions. This plays a really important role in our social lives because it affects our ability to connect and be understanding towards other people. Empathy plays a really important role in our lives and allows us to understand others quite often compels us to take action to relieve another person's suffering or console them or be like, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person dealing with this. And it fosters that humanity within each of us. Now, there are three types of empathy, and these three forms are what psychologists have defined are cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. Cognitive empathy is simply knowing how the other person feels and what they might be thinking. Sometimes this is called perspective taking, and this kind of empathy can help in, say, a negotiation or in motivating people. I know that when it comes to choreographing and using empathy in the sense of performing arts, and it's important when I'm using the music, I'm trying to empathize with the artist that's created this song, and they might be speaking from life experience that I can't relate to. And this is something that I had to kind of dive into with different characters that I would take on in dances when I was younger, things talking about like intense heartbreak and even happy intimate experiences that would be discussed in different songs and stuff. This is stuff that, you know, at a young age, you don't necessarily have experience with, yet you're performing and acting to this music. So you're taking on the emotion of another person. And in the same way, when I am helping my students take on the character that they are portraying through the dance, It's important for them to connect with the music, to be in it and really portraying what's going on, or else there's going to be a disconnect with the music, there's going to be a disconnect with the audience, 
and just really a disconnection within themselves because I think what you can gain from empathy is just learning a different perspective and learn to see from another person's perspective to gain even more insight about yourself. Like, oh, this is how this person did that. How might I respond or react or act in this situation if it happened to me? Now, a study at the University of Birmingham found, for example, that managers who are great at perspective taking were able to move and motivate workers to give their best efforts. I know for me as a choreographer with some of the students that I've worked with in the past as far as choreographing pieces for them, if they're competing a solo. I'm the type of choreographer where I get to know my students. I get to know a little bit about them and I want to find something, a piece of music, create a dance piece that they will be able to relate to, something that will feel natural on their body. I'll understand their abilities and their limitations and how far we can push through those and how much we can use the dance to kind of push past those boundaries, whether they're taking on a little bit more of a darker role because they're used to being in the light so much or they might be taking on something that's a little bit more aggressive if they're used to being soft, vice versa. So it's helping somebody develop in a way that they wouldn't necessarily be challenged, but it also works with the capabilities that they already have. And I think when you're helping people in life move past different emotional barriers or different situational barriers, it's important to understand, okay, like where are they actually at? Everybody's not always at a very ideal situation, so it's not always applicable to apply ideal circumstances or ideal goals. It's important to offer reasonable, reachable, attainable goals after looking at where they're coming from in their life. You know, for example, if you have a friend who just lost their husband in a car accident, it might not be the best advice to tell her to go date right away or let's go out. You know, it might be a better idea to console and spend time grieving and healing and dealing with that process rather than pushing somebody out or giving them that type of advice to just get back out there, you know, but that could be really different for for somebody else who needs a different type of experience. But this is kind of something that can relate to a lot of different areas of our life and just help us be understanding to where people's perspective is coming from and see from that. Now, emotional empathy is when you feel physically along with the other person as though their emotions were contagious. Now, sometimes I feel this when I am either listening to music or watching performing arts. There's so much emotion that's put into music, and it's a huge form of communication, whether it's symphonic music or it is rap or jazz, pop music. There's all different ways that we can always connect with that, and that is an experience that we all typically experience if you can hear, (laughs) because most people listen to music. So, Those emotions can be contagious and a lot of, you know, performers, they can get an audience really riled up and really entertained through the emotion that they're giving off. But this can also be, you know, in situations where you might be at a play where there's a really deep subject being discussed. Same thing goes with music and performance, but also when you're actually relating to other people in real life, when you see a really devastating situation happen, like, you know, for those of us that were alive during 2001, when September 11th happened, that was a very traumatic experience. And most people can remember where they were on that day and when they found out the news and the details of that day, like it's yesterday, because it was just such a huge historical event that happened. That's something that we all shared. So we go through those emotions together. Now, this emotional contagiousness, you know, as social neuroscience tells us, depends in a large part on the mirror neuron system. 
So when we see other people that are going through like a rough time or something, sometimes we can feel for them. That can be sometimes why people don't like looking at the homeless person on the corner that's asking for money because they don't want to feel what that person is feeling. They don't want to connect with that. But it's important to have an open heart and be giving. I know some people in those situations, they don't like to give money because they don't want to support like alcohol or drug abuse. But for me, I usually always have some fruit with me and I like to, you know, give those people like some fruits and stuff. So if that's something that makes you uncomfortable on a side note, that can be um, a good way to handle it. Or if you have like bottles of water in your car or something, that can be another thing to share sometimes. So, you know, having that emotional empathy makes someone a well-attuned person to another's inner emotional world. And, you know, a plus in any of a wide range of callings from sales to nursing, you know, just having good customer service if you work in that type of job, let alone for any parent or lover, friend, your relationships, interpersonal relationships, people that you just meet, people that you are being supportive of in a particular support group, if you're a part of anything like that, on a team, in school, in a friend group, all these types of things. This is something that comes into play when you're able to feel along with another person, the emotions that they're dealing with. Now, one downside to emotional empathy is that it occurs when people lack the ability to manage their own distressing emotions, and it can be seen as a psychological exhaustion that leads to burnout. The purposeful detachment cultivated by those in medicine offers a way to inoculate against this burnout, but the danger arises when detachment leads to indifference rather than to well-calibrated carings. Because many people, they just want to feel heard. They want to feel acknowledged and they, they want to know that they're not weird and what they're feeling isn't weird and that they're not alone. Or if they are being seen in an incorrect light, it can leave them feeling judged and really, you know, that's not comfortable for anybody. It can be really detrimental to a person's self-efficacy, their self-esteem and their sense of even self-worth. Ultimately, your opinion of yourself is the most important and others' opinion does not inform of you. However, so many people are so hard on themselves that it almost seems like no amount of empathy or people giving them compliments or whatever really changes how they feel or how they see themselves. But it is a process and it can change. And just like anything, it takes work. If you have a friend going through this, sometimes it can take a lot of work in that friendship to help build them up and make them, you know, help them to feel better. And I understand like being in those situations sometimes can be really exhausting. And I do feel like it is an individual responsibility to do the work to pick yourself up and not rely on other people to the extent where it is exhausting for that sense of self-validation. Now, everybody's been through different experiences in their life. You may have gone through a lot of abuse in your life and had people tell you you're worthless, you know, all types of very abusive things that I don't want to repeat right now or trigger anybody, but people can you know, can come from a past of a lot of verbal abuse, and that does cause them to seek sometimes a lot of affirmation outside of themselves. And that's, you know, it's sad situations, but there are ways that you can affirm yourself from within and cope with that a little bit differently so that you're in a positive mindset and also not relying on others for your sense of self-identity. The other part of 
empathy is the third one, compassionate empathy, or also known as empathic concern. With this kind of empathy, we not only understand a person's predicament and feel with them, but we are spontaneously moved to help if needed. So this is beyond just kind of consoling somebody, but it's really taking the next step, being like, okay, what kind of resources can I connect you with? How can we get you whatever kind of help you need. Maybe they need to see a therapist. Maybe they need to join a spiritual group. Maybe they need physical therapy. Maybe they need to have a conflict resolution with another person and you might be able to facilitate that. Maybe they need to access some type of tutoring to further their education or some type of financial aid. Whatever it may be, it's really taking whatever the person is sharing with you and if you have the means to be able to help them beyond what they're capable of doing themselves, it's kind of paying it forward and and doing something. And I'll get to this a little bit later about practicing skills of empathy in your day-to-day life a little later Um, But there are a lot of ways that that can be done. One thing I wanted to touch on was what's the difference between compassion and empathy? Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person, whereas compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. So having compassion is really sort of like a gateway to developing empathy, but empathy is really taking it a step further. We might feel bad for somebody, but empathy is really taking the next step to understand and share the feelings with another person rather than just kind of look at them as different than you. It's important that you take the steps if it you know matters to you to transform the sympathy that you may have for a person into empathy, but that's a very personal choice. There can be a dark side to empathy when it comes to cognitive empathy. And this is typically experienced with narcissists, Machiavellians, and sociopaths. These people can be really talented in this regard while having no sympathy whatsoever for their victims. So, for example, a torturer needs this ability to be able to use somebody like a narcissist needs a person who is very empathetic to be um like a source of supply for them. This is the language that's used in psychology quite often is that a narcissist needs a person that will give them supply. So what supply often is, is seeing somebody else in pain, seeing somebody else confused or distressed is a source of them feeling like they are in power. If only to better calibrate their cruelty, they take out these measures. When empathy gets into an extreme, there are people that do identify as an empath. Now, empaths are highly sensitive individuals who have a keen ability to sense what other people around them are thinking and feeling, and psychologists may use the term empath to describe a person that experiences a great deal of empathy, often to the point of taking on the pain of others at their own expense. Sometimes empaths can like blame themselves for things happening that really weren't even their fault, and narcissists oftentimes prey on these people because they can be manipulated and confused. Now, there's a difference between being an empathetic person and being an empath to the point where it's borderlining on martyrdom, where you are sacrificing your own self and your happiness and your own well-being 
as it benefits seemingly another person, even though it really is hurting everybody in the situation. Because if you are an empath enabling a narcissist, this is not healthy for them either. So narcissists, for example, are attracted to people that they will get the greatest use out of or supply from. Often this means that they pursue and target empaths. Empaths are the opposite of narcissists. So while people with narcissistic personality disorder have no empathy and thrive on the need for admiration, empaths are highly sensitive and tune with people's emotions. Empaths are oftentimes considered to be emotional sponges who can absorb feelings from other people very easily. And this makes them very attractive to narcissists because they can see them as someone who will fulfill their every need in a very selfless way. There's nothing wrong with being selfless. There's also a huge difference between that and being gravely taken advantage of by someone who does not love or care about you. And when you look at the narcissist-empath relationship, which some people even experience this in their day-to-day life, some people stay in relationships with narcissists because they don't know any better. They don't have an understanding of how to get out of it, and they don't realize what the other person is doing to them, maybe because they grew up in a situation where they didn't understand that they were being treated this way or they dealt with a lot of abuse, whatever it may be, there are ways to become more cognizant and more conscious of these types of behaviors and identify them and get out of these situations, even if you are stuck in it. But the problem with narcissists is oftentimes they do not change. They are very stuck in their ways. It's very rare that if, you know, they have been enabled for a very long time, they will really feel any remorse for their actions and want to change because for so many years it has served them to act that way. Now, getting into a sociopath and how this interacts with empathy and characteristics of a sociopath is typically they have glibness and a superficial charm. They have this external appearance that makes them seem very charming to others. They can be very manipulative and conning. They never recognize the rights of others and see their self-serving behaviors as permissible. So, you know, after the Me Too movement came out, there were a lot of these types of behaviors, not saying that all men that engage in that type of behavior that contributed to the Me Too movement being what it was were psychopaths or sociopaths. But this type of manipulation and conning can happen in these circumstances where people just want what they want and they don't give two cares about whatever and however that affects you. It's seen to them as permissible, like as if it's their right, and they don't really care about the consequences for anybody else and the damage that it may cause along the way. They get what they want and they move on. They have a grandiose sense of self. They rely on pathological lying. They have a very low sense of self-remorse, shame, or guilt. And when it comes to shame and guilt, I think shame and guilt have their place in realizing, like in having morals and ethics and standards and just a sense of like, I think wallowing in shame or guilt or remorse is something that can be unnecessary in the large scheme of things for like years, months on end about something. To a certain extent, you need to learn how to forgive yourself, but it's healthy to experience a degree of shame and guilt if you do something that you are genuinely shameful, remorseful, or guilty for and repent in whatever way, apologize in whatever way you need to, but to not feel it at all is, you know, highly arrogant in a lot of ways. Oftentimes, sociopaths project a lot of shallow emotions, so very surface level, appearance-based, acting a certain kind of way. 
they have an incapacity for love. They're not capable of really caring deeply for another person. And they have a constant need for stimulation. So not really able to stay with maybe a particular relationship for a long time. They might be dipping their nuggets in all kind of sauces. So that's something to really be looking out for. Psychopathy is traditionally known as a personality disorder characterized by persistent antisocial behavior, impaired empathy and remorse, as well as bold, disinhibited, and egotistical traits. It is sometimes considered synonymous with sociopathy, but is a little bit different. So psychopaths are a little bit different from sociopaths, but have some overlying tendencies, which can make it a little bit confusing. But some of the traits of a psychopath is that they are uncaring. They are callous and show a lack of empathy and come off as very cold-hearted, whereas a sociopath might be a little bit more manipulative and self-serving and try to con somebody into believing that they're caring, but they actually aren't. They, again, have shallow emotions, irresponsibility, insincere speech, overconfidence, narrowing of attention, selfishness, and the inability to plan for the future. While a sociopath would feel no guilt about hurting a stranger, they may feel guilt and remorse over hurting someone with which they share a bond. Additionally, it appears that some of the very antisocial behavior in sociopaths lessens over time, while this cannot be said for psychopaths. Psychopaths oftentimes operate and appear to have no concern whatsoever for the consequences of their actions, while a sociopath may learn to avoid consequences over time by reducing antisocial behavior, but then engaging in more acts that serve them and more manipulative acts of getting people to do what they want. Now, another way we can look at the difference is that a psychopath is really callous yet charming. He or she will con manipulate others with charisma and intimidation and can effectively mimic feelings to present as normal to society. A psychopath is organized in their criminal thinking and behavior, can maintain good emotional and physical control, displaying little to no emotional autonomic arousal, even under situations that most would find very threatening and horrifying. The psychopath is keenly aware that what he or she is doing is wrong, but does not care. So think about it as if like they have a dead person in their trunk and they're getting pulled over by a cop and they're acting like completely normal, like literally their blood pressure and their heart rate wouldn't even change. It's not like they're scared, but acting like it's okay, like it literally does not affect them on like a nervous system level. Conversely, the sociopath is less organized in his or her demeanor. He or she might be nervous and easily agitated and quick to display anger. A sociopath is more likely to spontaneously act out in inappropriate appropriate ways without thinking through the consequences. Compared to the psychopath, the sociopath will not be able to move through society committing callous crimes as easily as they can form attachments and often have normal temperaments. Now, both psychopaths, narcissists, and sociopaths display antisocial personality as a part of what their diagnosis or traits 
are. So going into some of the things that contribute to antisocial personality, you know, and the reason why I'm touching on this is if you are very antisocial, you're not connecting with other people. You're not giving yourself opportunities to be empathic or be compassionate towards other people's situations because you are largely focused on yourself and that's all that's seeming to matter to you. So this is why it's really important to think about these things. So antisocial personality is described by the Mayo Clinic with these traits. They exploit other people. They use charm or wit to manipulate others for their own personal gain, for sheer personal pleasure. They have intense egocentrism, sense of superiority, and exhibitionism, repeatedly violate the rights of others by use of intimidation, dishonesty, and misrepresentation. They lack empathy for others. They involve themselves in unnecessary risk-taking or dangerous behaviors. They have poor or abusive relationships. They have a failure to learn from the negative consequences of behavior and disregard right and wrong and what the difference is. So even just reading some of these things, it really does make me reflect back on the episode that I discussed a lot of the social media and mental health issues in. This large sense of self-centeredness, egocentrism, exploiting other people, like all of this stuff, this is actually really antisocial behavior. Social media in a lot of ways is a great way to expand your horizons, and it has been for me as well in my life, until it starts interfering with your life. When social media replaces or distracts from personal interactions, it is decidedly antisocial. Now, I have to say, in most of my uses of social media, most of the people that I have connected with on social media, those connections have turned into real-life connections. So seeing the person face-to-face, meeting them, actually developing a real friendship with them, not just online. Keeping in touch with them over the phone if they live, you know, like a long distance away or Skyping, that type of thing. It's become you know, important. I think that when social media is used as a, as a form of connection that leads to deeper forms of connection, that can be a great thing as long as it's being done safely, of course. Now, relationships really are the essence of life. Every contact in some way can be seen as a deposit or a withdrawal. There is some type of economic exchange typically happening, and it doesn't always have to be monetary. When you help somebody, it is a deposit. The help can be as simple as a smile, a good article shared or a referral. Anything that encourages, inspires, and contributes to someone else's well-being adds value to him or her and improves his or her happiness. Even with all the good in social media, there is a dark side. And I've seen a lot of this, and I know many of my friends that are very engaged in social media have seen this as well. The fact of the matter is, it is addictive. Once you get started, you have to use a lot of self-control to keep from staying online continuously because it is engineered to be that way. It is that call to tweet or post that creates antisocial behavior. Internet addiction is regarded as a kind of technological addiction, which refers to non-chemical behavior addictions that involve human-machine interaction. The symptoms of internet addiction or pathological internet use include obsessive thoughts about the internet, tolerance, diminished impulse control, and the inability to cease using the internet and withdrawal from feelings of using it. So it's like, oh my god, I have to check my Instagram. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's that type of internal monologue like did so and so message me back did this person like my post how many likes did I get? like all of these things that it's like if you're just out in nature chilling enjoying the people you're with like enjoying the environment like these are not things that are burdening you but for many people this has become 
normal to have this voice kind of cycling in some part of your psyche. The diminished impulse control is related to the reduced emotional self-regulation to control one's impulses to reach a goal on or off the internet. In other words, the addicts tend to lose their control of their behavior. In particular, they are unable to cut back or stop internet use. And with the withdrawal symptoms of the addicts, this refers to the unpleasant feeling, the restlessness, moody, depressed, irritable feelings people feel when the internet activity is being stopped or cut down. Underlying sociopathic and psychopathic tendencies are more likely to outburst because they lack the critical thinking to go into decision making. And these people can tend to word vomit all over the internet, you know, turning it into a negativity cesspool. Does that mean that every single person that's trolling on the internet is a sociopath, narcissist, and a psychopath? No, but they can be exhibiting some of those tendencies. And so when you're taking impulse control away from somebody who might be exhibiting some of those behaviors or hasn't really developed empathy to the point where that is dominating over those types of thoughts, you know, that's when it leads to making the internet a, a negative place, which many people can view it that way due to their own experience with it. Now, the daily impact on life, you know, in the study of the internet addicts is usually negative. The addicts may sometimes risk the loss of a significant relationship, educational or career opportunity because of the internet, because of the things that they're posting or, you know, things that are really meant to be kept private and in the past would be kept private. But today it's like normal to expose so many different things about yourself They may lie to others because of their over-involvement with the internet, and they also use the internet as a means to escape from problems to settle one's unpleasant emotion, such as helplessness, anxiety, guilt, shame, or depression. You know, in this, we can all be empathetic towards one another because we are all dealing with emotions of this nature, you know, from varying degrees at different times in our lives. It's okay to process and move on from these emotions with another person and either being a good listener or sharing your concerns or your issues with another person that you're dealing with. That's okay. It allows you to process it in some way and at the very best move on from it, hopefully. We all make mistakes and have a capacity to do a lot of good or bad. When you don't feel like you have anybody to relate to or talk with that, you know, will be empathetic towards you, these feelings can get stuffed down. Meditation doesn't solve this. Medication doesn't solve this. And critical thinking skills support compassion and empathy for yourself and others in a support system type of environment really do. And of course, there are a lot of other things that can contribute to this, but so many people are left feeling so alone. And oftentimes they feel like the impulse that people have to go on the internet is they might be like, oh, I want to see what so-and-so is doing with their day, or I want to see what this person posted and compare that to my life. And they might even do it as like a self-sabotage to feel awful about themselves. They could have a great relationship. They could be an awesome son or daughter. They could be doing awesome at their job and having upward mobility opportunities and, you know, saving money and being responsible and 
you know, exercising as much as they can. And then they're going to go on the internet purposely to look at somebody else's life who maybe doesn't have all the responsibilities they have, that doesn't have their lifestyle and compare themselves to that and be like, my life sucks. And just to like keep themselves in a depressed state. And even for some people that may be a trigger or a an excuse that gets used to go into negative behavior patterns. All of a sudden they're going to start binging on food or they're going to go into a negative, you know, they're going to ignore the responsibilities that they have because they're just ambivalent and they're like, oh, I don't care. Like, I don't need to care about this. Whereas if you just stay focused and have gratitude for the things that you have in your life and really appreciate the people you're around and express that appreciation and gratitude for them, And continue to build that in your life rather than compare yourself to other people. It's going to lead to a very different outcome internally, externally, and in your exchange with other people energetically. So rather than jumping to a lot of conclusions and getting to a place where we are being really reactive and contributing to different types of antisocial behavior patterns, which obviously we know that those can manifest and uh, snowball into other things, and they relate to character traits of different psychological diagnosed tendencies, such as narcissistic tendencies, sociopathic tendencies, and the others discussed, it's important to practice empathy so that you're counterbalancing a lot of those negative tendencies that can come up and make a better choice when you are in a state of stress or heightened emotion. Some of the ways that you can practice empathy on a day-to-day basis in real life, in your day-to-day life, in your interactions with other people on and offline are practicing self-respect and self-esteem. This can be affirming yourself, having some type of a spiritual practice. I even wrote a book that is full of affirmations that is highly geared towards children and youth so that they can start this practice at a younger age called I Am Infinite. It's available on Amazon. This is a really important practice because then you don't get involved in seeking validation outside of yourself, feeling like you need to prove things to other people. You're really doing things because you see that it's important and it's coming from a place of using the gifts that you've been given to uplift others and in turn, you are uplifted from that as well. And I can speak from experience. You're not going through the process of seeking validation externally. You learn to accept positive feedback, including positive criticism from others as a part of your growth process and learn to discern just negative, harsh, hurtful criticism that's not meant to help you grow. That's really meant to be hurtful towards you and, you know, discern against that. You can learn how to share from a compassionate and empathetic place and allow yourself to be relatable rather than unattainable, unable to reach or unable to relate to. Another thing you can do is just really do your best to respect other people. You are different from others in many, many ways, but you are also similar to others in many ways. Regardless of differences, you are capable of being a respectful person. Just like being polite, respect costs nothing, but it can cost you a lot to be disrespectful, not only in your relationship with yourself, but with others too. One thing you can do is just celebrate the things you can and want to do with another person and let that be the focus while keeping other aspects in mind not necessarily ignoring them but not letting them dominate you know to the point of being disrespectful because you know there's going to be things about every person that you're not going to like a hundred percent of every person but you can appreciate the positive things that you see. You know, you can be a positive support in their life. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. That's like very basic 
common sense, but not many people use that. Criticism that lacks empathy and kindness or the ability to be truly helpful to somebody and comes from a place that is really trying to help somebody improve. If it's not coming from that place, like it's just straight up cruel. And you need to be sure that you can offer your criticism in a direct and constructive, compassionate way to truly be heard rather than met with a lot of defensiveness and come off as offensive. Another thing you can do is practice social and civil responsibility. Do things like volunteer and give back to your community. Understand that other people come from different circumstances and different walks of life and are doing the absolute best with what they have to make their life what it is and to make the most out of it. You can be a part of the positive change. I've volunteered for causes ranging from everything from domestic abuse violence victims and their children, homeless addicts in recovery, helping runaway teens in safe homes, yoga in prisons, teaching dance to students in schools that may not have the ability to afford dance training, helping to provide clothing for families that cannot afford to clothe their children, all these types of things. You know, use what the universe or God has given you and blessed you with to give back and help others rise up. Because most of the gifts that you have been given, hopefully you enjoy them. And when you're able to give back to other people that are in a state of need, it feels absolutely amazing to do that. It feels way better than like getting likes on Instagram or whatever. You know, like that's a real human connection and that you can't buy that. That's like the essence of humanity. And it is really a gift to yourself to allow yourself to experience that. Be kind and celebrate the talents of others rather than being jealous or becoming bitter and discouraged and hard on yourself. You know, if you see somebody else that has a social capacity that you think is like more than you or whatever, do your best to get out of your comfort zone and see what you can do to raise your standards and raise your abilities by just getting a little bit uncomfortable and getting comfortable with that uncomfortableness. The next thing I want to touch on is global responsibility and world citizenship. Think outside yourself. What can you do locally, nationally, internationally to be of service? I'm really personally passionate about issues locally, nationally, and internationally regarding food, mental health, disease prevention, access to health care and education, things within the performing arts. All of these things are things that I'm personally really passionate about and like to do quite a bit of research on and give back in whatever way that I can. Issues that need the attention of empathetic people. That's what I want to contribute to in my life. There's a way to use these online platforms and social media as a way to get involved and connect with others and organizations that are empowering and creating positive change and to turn those connections into real life connections, to get involved in a real event and make something happen and give yourself that experience of being involved in something that's positive. Really, like, lifelong amazing friendships and relationships can come out of those things. In addition, the teaching of self-efficacy, time management, self-discipline, or self-control is a useful thing in cultivating a positive attitude in the use of the internet and just in day-to-day interaction when it comes to empathy. Meditation is such a powerful tool when it comes to learning how to harness your focus and access its power. The power of the mind is so limitless, like if we really, really tap into it. Whether you want to try transcendental meditation, forms of yoga, breath work, sound healing, all of these things, 
and more can be used to create a more intense focus. And hopefully this allows you to experience what focusing on what really matters feels like and letting everything else fall away. Now, why is having empathy important at all in health and social care? You know, a lot of people think that maybe acting in a way of a sociopath, a psychopath, or a narcissist is better or people that are empathetic or are weak for relating to somebody else and you have to be cold hard and be ruthless and getting whatever you want in life and that means being emotionally desensitized i know people like this that go through their life really just not caring about what they do and how it affects other people and they get sometimes some upward mobility from it but there's other consequences for their actions they also have to deal with that it does lead to social isolation, that it does lead to people having an opinion about them that's not the best. You have to live with those consequences or they're really seen as, you know, the people around them don't really care about them. So these are choices that you have to make for yourself. Whether you think empathy is a weak trait to have, it really actually is a very strong trait to have. And it takes a lot of strength to be an empathetic person because to be able to relate to another person, meet them where they're at and help them rise up out of their situation, that takes strength. Just as a personal trainer can work with somebody and see, okay, well, this is where they're at and I'm going to help you get stronger. Building that empathetic muscle relates to what a trainer does and you can be that person to someone else and help them out of a difficult time in their life and just help them feel heard and understood. And honestly, it takes compassion, it takes patience, and it takes just not being so self-centered. It can be really easy to just focus on yourself all the time, but then people will view you as being selfish and uncaring. So that's kind of what you'll have to deal with if that's what you want to choose. Now, empathy has a lot of benefits. Expressing empathy is highly effective and powerful, which builds trust, calms anxiety, and improves health outcomes for those around us. Some of the other benefits to empathy are that empathy feels really good. The pleasure centers in the brain light up when we are empathetically heard and understood and when we do that for other people. It reduces stress and fosters resilience, trust, healing, personal growth, creativity, learning, and nourishing connection. Again, it goes back to that just basic human connection of people being there for one another and feeling heard and helped through a situation rather than to feel condemned, like they're never going to rise up, they're stuck in their situation, and nothing's ever going to get better, which can unfortunately be an easy hole to slip into if you don't have a good support system around you. Some of the advantages of empathy are that it can greatly reduce the amount of conflict in an individual's life. The most common reason why other people become angry is that they do not feel like they are being understood. One of the most important benefits of empathy is that it will improve your relationships with yourself, with other people, with your family, with people that you work with, with crazy drivers on the road. <laughs> you know, like just having that empathy, it's a good muscle to exercise. Now to wrap it up, I just want to say it's so important to be conscious of antisocial behavior and how this affects your use of social media. Let social media be something that connects you to people in real life in some way or another and do seek to do that. Social media does not replace having friends seeing friends, interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis. It does not replace that. It is not the same thing. Staring at a screen and watching pixelated light images is not the same thing as interacting with a human being. So never allow that to take the place 
of real human interaction in your life and be conscious if you feel like it's getting to a point where it's becoming too dominant and you're feeling like you are getting to a place of internet addiction and then it's isolating you and you're not allowing yourself to have those opportunities to be empathetic. Also, when you are online, practice empathy in your interactions with other people online. Realize that everybody, whether they're a YouTuber, whether they're an influencer or an Instagram or whatever, they are human beings. They are not perfect. No matter how perfect they make their life look, they are not perfect. They have struggles. They cry. They poop like anybody else. They they have other issues that are going on in their life that you know nothing about. Don't put people up on a pedestal and idolize them to the point where you feel like your life is horrible or worthless because it's not. You're worth being here and your life is worth more than just whatever you post on the internet. You know, you can make that something really positive that can uplift somebody else's day. And if you're looking at material that's making you feel that way, it's not necessarily the material that's issue. It can be your mindset about it. And sometimes it may be the material that you're looking at that is an issue, but be aware if it's triggering you and making you feel like, oh, like I'm not worth interacting with these people or, you know, I'm not good enough. These types of thoughts are like lies, like straight up just like lies that the mind is playing tricks on you with. Don't listen to it. That stuff is absolute garbage to listen to and it will affect you on a psychological level and isolate you and not allow you to really connect with other people. So rather than being so hard on yourself, realize you have a lot of great things and qualities about yourself and your life that you can celebrate and that you can be grateful for just as much as anybody else. As much as people can project their life to look like something that it is, no one's life is 100% perfect. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. And rather than becoming so self-centered, really practice empathy with other people. Understand where they're coming from and seek to have deeper connections with people in whatever way that you can. It can really, if you allow it to, social isolation and internet addiction, it can contribute to traits along more of the psychopathic, narcissistic, sociopathic spectrum. I'm not going to say that, you know, these types of people, like, are the only people on the internet or people that are highly involved with the internet are this way. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. I'm just saying it can lead to more of these tendencies and eventually spiral into that if it's not kept in check. So find ways to practice empathy in your day-to-day life. If some of the things that I've shared in this episode have been helpful, I hope that helps you in your life. Hopefully this improves your relationship with yourself and others. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 